Welcome to Over in Smith, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast where we read the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft, and sometimes we'll even make an audiobook, unless the story's too boring, or racist, or sometimes they're even both. Uh, today, we're going to be reading The Evil Clergyman, and with me whoa, is someone who's been shooed into an attic chamber by a grave, intelligent-looking young man. Art. Hi, I believe that a lot of clergymen are evil, mostly because the same thing that makes cops evil. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair yeah. assessment. Yep. Yeah, and if there are good clergymen, they need to be calling out the bad clergymen, which there aren't. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah. Yep, exactly. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be reading The Evil Clergyman today, and hark, within the... The, the church bells, I hear that there may be a short drabble before this story. Yeah, uh, like the very old folk, this work was on a story as much as an account of a dream, which was taken from a letter to uh, Bernard Austin Dreyer. The date of the letter is not known, but it probably dates to the summer of 1933. Lovecraft wrote to Clark Ashton Smith, uh, October 22nd, 1933. Some months ago, I had a dream of an evil clergyman and a garret full of forbidden books. Lovecraft would probably have developed the idea beyond that relatively conventional supernaturalism uh, here depicted. Dreyer submitted the story to Weird Tales shortly after Lovecraft's death where it appeared in the April 1939 issue as the Wicked Clergyman. Ooh, spooky. So, yeah, that was, I think, like a year after, or a year less after Lovecraft's death, 1939, because he died 38. Yeah, Evil Clergyman. All right. The Evil Clergyman by H.P. Lovecraft. I was shewn into the attic chamber by a grave, intelligent-looking man with quiet clothes and an iron-gray beard, who spoke to me in this fashion. Yes, he lived here, but I don't advise you doing anything. Your curiosity makes you irresponsible. We never come here at night, and it's only because of his will that we keep it this way. You know what he did. That abominable society took charge at last, and we don't know where he is buried. There was no way the law or anything else could reach the society. I hope you won't stay till after dark, and I beg of you not to let that thing on the table, the thing that looks like a matchbox, alone. We don't know what it is, but we suspect it is something to do with what he did. We even avoid looking at it very steadily. After a time, the man left me alone in the attic room. It was very dingy and dusty, and only primitively furnished, but it had a neatness which shewed it was not a slum denizen's quarters. There were shelves full of theological and classical books, and other bookcase containing treatises on magic, Paracel Paracelsus, yes, I did read that, Paracelsus, Albertus Magnus, Trithemius, Hermes Trismegistus, Borellus, 
and others in strange alphabets whose titles I could not decipher. The furniture was very plain. There was a door, but it led only to a closet. The only egress was the aperture in the floor, up to which the crude, steep staircase led. The windows were a bull's-eyes pattern, and the black oak beams bespoke unbelievable antiquity. Plainly, this house was of old world. I seemed to know where I was, but cannot recall what I knew. Certainly, the town was not London. My impression is of a small seaport. The small object on the table fascinated me immensely. I seemed to know what to do with it, for I drew a pocket electric light, or what looked like one, out of my pocket and nervously tested its flashes. The light was not white but violet, and seemed less like true light than like some radioactive bombardment. I recall that it did not regard it as a common flashlight. Indeed, I had a common flashlight in another pocket. Damn, no need to get fancy HP. Man, I have so many I have so many things in my pockets. Remember in <laughs> Remember in the Shun house when they basically had like un uh contained like an uncontained microwave emitter? <laughs> and they're like, it's fine. Nothing bad's gonna happen standing right next to this. <laughs> It basically made a laser, if I remember correctly. They were using it to get rid of the mold. <laughs> it was getting dark, and the ancient roofs and chimney pots outside looked very queer through the bullseye window panes. Finally, I summoned up courage and propped the small object up on the table against a book, then turned the rays of the peculiar violet light upon it. The light seemed now to be more like a rain or hail of small violet particles, than like a continuous beam. The particles struck the glassy surface at the center of the strange device. They seemed to produce a crackling noise, like the sputtering of a vacuum tube, through which sparks are passed. The dark glassy surface displayed a pinkish glow, and a vague white shape seemed to be taking form at its center. Then I noticed that I was not alone in the room, but put the ray projector back in my pocket. But the newcomer did not speak. Nor did I hear any sound, whatever, during all the immediately following moments. Everything was a shadowy pantomime, as if seen at a vast distance through some intervening haze. Although, on the other hand, the newcomer and all subsequent comers loom large and close, as if both near and distant, according to some abnormal geometry. The newcomer was a thin, dark man of medium height, attired in the clerical garb of the Anglican Church. He was apparently about thirty years old, with a sallow olive complexion and fairly good features, but an abnormally high forehead. His black hair was well cut and neatly brushed, and he was clean-shaven, though blue-chinned with a heavy growth of beard. He wore rimless spectacles with steel bows. His build and lower facial features were like other clergymen I had seen, but he had a vastly higher forehead and was darker and more intelligent looking. Also more subtly and concealed and concealedly yeah. Also more subtly and concealedly evil looking. At the present moment, having just lighted a faint oil lamp, he looked nervous, and before I knew it, he was casting all his magical books into a fireplace on the window side of the room, where the wall slanted sharply, which I had not noticed before. 
The flames devoured the volumes greedily, leaping up in strange colors and emitting indescribably hideous odors as he as the strangely hieroglyph leaves and wormy bindings succumbed to the devastating element. All at once I saw there were others in the room, grave-looking men in clerical costume, one of whom wore the bands and knee-breeches of a bishop. Though I could hear nothing, I could see that they were bringing a decision of vast import to the first comer. They seemed to hate and fear him at the same time, and he seemed to return these sentiments. His face set itself to a grim expression, but I could see his right hand shaking as he tried to grip the back of a chair. The bishop pointed to the empty case and to the fireplace, where the flames had died down amidst charred, non-committal mass, and seemed filled with a particular loathing. The first comer then gave a wry smile and reached out with his left hand toward the small object on the table. Everyone then seemed frightened. The procession of clerics began filing down the steep stairs through the trapdoor in the floor, turning and making menacing gestures as they left. The bishop was last to go. I like how he's like, yeah, he's evil looking because he's got a five head. Well, I mean, have you seen have you seen what happens when you call out some uh, girls uh, with big, big foreheads like they turn into yes. monsters? They so. really do. <laughs> it's, I it's guess your fault. I it's, it's it's your fault for having a, a bad hairline, Becky. Yeah, I don't know what to... Grow some fucking bangs. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe stop pulling your skin back so far, whatever you're doing at Ponytail. Yeah, goddamn. Fuck. And don't wear it when you sleep. Just get a silk bonnet. It works great. I just, like, he describes him as, like, being attractive and, like, having a typical build and, like, he has, like, glasses. He looks intelligent. And then he's like, but he got that evil five head. That's what makes him... E His forehead is just too big. It's what makes him evil, obviously. It's where he fits all of his evil thoughts. The first comer now went to a cupboard on the inner side of the room and extracted a coil of rope. Mounting a chair, he attached one end of the rope to a hook in the great exposed central beam of black oak and began making a noose with the other end. Realizing he was about to hang himself, I started forward to dissuade or save him. He saw me and ceased his preparations, looking at me with a kind of triumph which puzzled and disturbed me. He slowly stepped down from the chair and began gliding toward me with a positively wolfish grin on his dark, thin-lipped face. I felt somehow in deadly peril and drew out the peculiar ray projector as a weapon of defense. Why I thought it could help me, I do not know. I turned it on. <laughs> why why am I doing this? I'm just going <laughs> to get a laser I mean, gun. I'm going to shoot in random directions. Hopefully it helps. I mean, shining a bright light in somebody's face is a good defense measure. Not going to lie. <laughs> Makes sense to me, at least. Especially if that flashlight turns out to be a laser. Or damn, if you gotta if you gotta make light, just like hit him in the face with it. Those things are fucking heavy. I turned it on, full in his face, and saw the sallow features glow first with violet, then with pinkish light. His expression of wolfish exultation began to be crowded aside by look of profound fear, which did not, however, wholly displace the exultation. He stopped in his tracks, then flailing his arms wildly in the air, began to stagger backwards. I saw he was edging toward the open stairwell in the floor and tried to shout a warning, but he did not hear me. 
In another instant, he had lurched back toward the opening and lost a view. I found difficulty in moving toward the stairwell, but when I did get there, I found no crushed body on the floor below. Instead, there was a clatter of people coming up with lanterns, for the spell of phantasmal silence had been broken, and I once more heard sounds and saw figures as normally tridimensional. Something had evidently drawn a crowd to this place. Had there been a noise I had not heard? Presently, the two people, simply villagers, apparently, farthest from the lead, saw me and stood paralyzed, one of them shrieking loudly and reverbently, Ah! It be easier again. Then they all turned and fled frantically. All that is, but what? When the crowd was gone, I saw the grave bearded man who had brought me to this place, standing alone with a lantern. He was gazing at me gaspingly and fascinatedly, but did not seem afraid. Then he began to ascend the stairs and joined me in the attic. He spoke, So you didn't let it alone. I'm sorry. I know what has happened. It happened once before. But the man got frightened and shot himself. You ought not to have made him come back. You know what he wants. But you mustn't get frightened like the other man got. Something very strange and terrible has happened to you. But it didn't get far enough to hurt your mind and personality. If you keep cool and accept the need for taking certain radical readjustments in your life, you can keep right on enjoying the world and the fruits of your scholarship. But you can't live here. And I don't think you'll wish to go back to London. I'd advise America. You mustn't try anything more with that thing. Nothing can be put back now. It would only make matters worse to do or summon anything. You are not as badly off as you might be. But you must get out of here at once and stay away. You better thank heaven it didn't go further. I'm going to prepare you as bluntly as I can. There has been a certain change in your personal appearance. He always causes that. But in a new country, you can get used to it. There's a mirror up at the other end of the room, and I'm going to take you to it. You'll get a shock, though you will see nothing repulsive. I was now shaking with deadly fear, and the bearded man almost had to hold me up as he walked me across the room to the mirror. The faint lamp, i.e. the formerly on the table, not the still fainter lantern he had brought in in his free hand, and this is what I saw in the glass. A thin, dark man of medium stature, attired in clerical garb of the Anglican church, apparently about thirty, with rimless, steel-bowed glasses glistening below a sallow, olive forehead of abnormal height. It was the silent first-comer who had burned his books. For all the rest of my life, in outward form, I was to be that man. The end. So... That's what happens, apparently. When you do things you're not supposed to, you get cursed with a five head. The ultimate curse. A big-ass forehead. And a bad hairline. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have much of a thought about this. I don't What's either. It? Well, they said well, that it was just, like, a dream. I guess, that he yeah. Had. Yeah. Okay, let's do, let's do HP List Craft real quick. Let's do it. A listomania. Hey, I never closed it from last time. <laughs> That's how fast the story was. Do you want to put out the same thing of well, the last one? That was just a, a dream or something? Yeah. Um, what was that one? Very Old Folk? The Very Old very Folk. Old. Number 49. Let's put it above the Very Old Folk. 
I agree. It was better than that, at least. Alright, so this is going from number 40 down to number 50. So at 40, we have the music of Ericsson. Number 41 is The Descendant. Number 42 is The Wall, Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Number 43 is Sweet Ermengarde, or The Heart of a Country Girl by Percy Simple. Number 44 is In the Vault. Number 45 is The Unnameable. Number 46 is The Moonbog. Number 47 is The Doom That Came to Sarnath. Number 48 is The Tomb. And now in 49 is The Evil Clergyman. At 50 was The Other Dream Story, which is The Very Old Folk. Yeah. And under that is all just... Uh, I, You know what? Uh, terrible Old Man and the Alchemist have some redeeming qualities to them. Really, 56 and under 56 is The Shun House. Everything under that, not so much. Yeah. Eh, just not very exciting. Just, uh, you, you got a five head now, HP. I don't know what to tell you. This is your life. <laughs> there we go. Okay. This has been Over in Smith. And remember, you are an irreplaceable gash in the fabric of reality. Your keening static howl is like no other. And if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable. And the mansions of silence would forever fill with our lament. Okay, bye.